Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. In this episode, we'll explore how AI is unlocking value for businesses across the economy. What are the technologies underpinning the AI movement? How can organizations use AI to achieve their strategic goals? And what kinds of risks should business leaders be on the lookout for? Hello, and welcome to the Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions podcast. I'm Dulcie Pearson, a strategy consultant at MDRX. We help businesses to use emerging technology with a team of developers, data scientists, and business analysts. Today, I'm joined by our CEO, Tom Grogan. Hi, Tom. Hi, Dulcie. We're going to be talking a lot about AI in the next 20 minutes, and it's everywhere in the news at the moment. But I'm conscious that the term is used quite broadly. Can you give us a working definition? Yeah, of course I can. And, and I think that's a, a really important thing to do to start with, to ground everything we're going we're gonna to be talking about. So when we talk about AI, we're really talking about the machine simulation of human intelligence processes. And if we unpack that slightly wordy definition for a moment, a machine, generally a computer system, a simulation, so an imitative representation, and a human intelligence process, so a cognitive feat like understanding, reasoning, perception, and learning. And it's Gen AI that's really hitting the headlines at the moment. So how does that fit in? Yeah, so Gen AI is a subset of AI, and that's generally an AI system that generates media in response to a prompt. And again, let's unpack the definition, media, text, video, images, music, and a prompt being an input or query that you submit to that AI. Okay, so now we've got a clear definition of what AI is, what use cases are you coming across at MDRX and how should organizations be coming up with them? I think the first thing that organizations need to make sure they're doing is starting with a business lens. I've I've lost count of the occasions in the last few months where a client has come to us and said, hello, we would like to do AI. That is an absolutely terrible place for any business to start. Generally, a MDRX. And at the risk of being slightly reductionist, we push our clients to make sure that before they do anything, they're being honest with themselves and figuring out whether or not they're doing so for headline reasons, i.e. brand positioning and improving their standing in the market. That's a an incredibly seductive but slightly dangerous headline because there's nothing beggier and looking more try-hard than trying to look innovative. And I think brands that, that think they are going to do AI and therefore will be innovative are, one, 12 months too late, and two, probably going to be disappointed. The second is top-line reasons, making more money, driving new revenues. And the third is bottom-line driven, i.e. saving on costs. And I think it's one of the things that's fascinating about AI is that generally that headline, top line, bottom line is in that order of sexiness. It's in that order of attention and inches in newspaper columns and generally getting more press and bought attention. Gen AI, for the first time, certainly in my lifetime, is an example of a technology that has grabbed the attention of the mainstream public and yet is a bottom line, ultimately, technology. It's something that helps you to do more with less, to reduce waste, and to improve the efficiency of your organization, which I think is is quite powerful and quite unusual and quite interesting. 
I think it's fair to say that businesses are facing tough economic conditions at the moment and new technology requires investment. Can you give some examples of how AI can improve the bottom line for businesses? Bottom line? Yeah, for sure. So generally speaking, we can break down bottom line innovation into reducing waste. So for example, a large retailer that finds itself sitting on vast amounts of stock in January that it therefore needs to discount. There's no reason why they couldn't derive far greater insights from their data estate and therefore better predict the stock that they need in the first place, leading to to less waste and therefore less heavy discounting come sales season. And there's also efficiency, so doing more with less. So how do you, for example, run a highly personalized marketing campaign at scale? It's incredibly difficult if every personalization is human run, much more efficient, much more commercially practicable if it involves heavy degrees of automation, no doubt using Gen AI. If we zoom out for a moment and think about the use cases in headline and top line, headline, we've seen lots of examples of marketing activations in the last year or so using some really quite clever AI systems, such as using entirely Gen AI-driven content from fresh clothing designs that go from prompt to output to sale in a matter of minutes, to very interesting sort of contrarian marketing. I think a lot of us will have seen the Nikon marketing campaign recently where they took photos on a good old-fashioned camera and published saying this was not shot using AI. I think that's a it's addressing the the AI movement. It's it's talking about and, and getting headlines using AI without ever actually using AI, which I think is 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 quite clever and quite cute. And top line making more revenue, driving more sales. So that's one of the most heavily invested in technology streams within the AI bucket. So Amazon has been serving you up with recommendations of of future sales for decades now. That is using a form of AI, albeit not Gen AI. So a lot of amazing opportunities then. What advice would you give to leaders that are starting out on their journey to use AI? So the first thing, as I've just said, is make sure you have your business case ready. Is it headline, top line or bottom line? making sure that you have a clear eye to return on investment. You can very easily spend a huge amount of money on these systems. And if there's no ROI, you just shouldn't do it. And so making sure that you go into it with with eyes open is, is incredibly important. Usually the first step in order to properly utilize AI and Gen AI in particular within an organization is to sort out your data estate. Invariably, organizations have vast swathes of data. Frustratingly, often they are in silos. They are too often completely unstructured. There's not a single data lake or data warehouse from which you can begin to derive insight and and train machine learning models and, and, and get value from artificial intelligence. So the first thing tends to be sorting out the data estate. There is a an organizational journey to go on. I think most stakeholders and senior execs within businesses totally get that. There is value in data-driven decision-making. In fact, I was having a, a very interesting conversation yesterday with one of the most senior judges in the country where he was asking 
what are the liability? Are we going to get to a situation where directors have liability put on them if they don't use AI? And I sort of said, well, they they kind of they kind of already do. If you were a FTSE 100 company and the company went bust and there was an investigation into it and you found that the directors weren't using data at all, sounds like it's getting awfully close to negligent to me. And that's where you begin to get breaches of fiduciary duties. All AI is, is a way of leveraging that data and processing that data in a non-human way. And so I, I do just see it as a natural extension, a natural evolution of the, the daily practice of senior execs in companies everywhere in the country. And the final thing organizations need to do is figure out how they're going to resource the build and implementation of these systems. There's a build versus buy conversation to be had. Very, very rarely are we ever going to recommend to a client that they are building foundational gen AI models. There are lots of them already. And the way those foundational models are set up allows you to somewhat plug and play in order to derive the benefits of the billions of dollars of of venture capital funding that's gone into building something like a chat GPT or or a GPT-4 or whatever the underlying foundational model is. But then once you've made that decision, are you resourced internally to deliver that work? Usually the answer is kind of, and it invariably becomes a hybrid of internal self-resourced expertise and bought-in expert specialist consultancy. And that's where clearly we like to play a part. So putting the opportunities aside for a minute, what are the key risks that need to be considered? So there's loads of risks, as you can imagine, when looking at AI. I think in no particular order, there is a a data protection and a cybersecurity risk. Typically, the way that the majority of the existing foundational models work is that in return for free access to these systems, you effectively seed the data and all of your prompts and all of the the inputs that you give the AI in order to derive the outputs are shared with the owner of those systems. There's a really, really easy, quick mitigation for that, which is you can take a commercial license, you create a closed private environment, which does not have that data leak back to the parent of the foundational model. That's a relatively easy, straightforward, you know, measuring the effort required there in you know, a couple of short weeks and, and really not a huge amount of money. It is shocking to me how few have actually gone away and, and done that. I recently had a meeting with a pretty large organization who said, it's okay, we don't need to worry about that because we've banned the use of Gen AI. And while in the meeting, I brought up their Twitter and said that image there was generated by Gen AI, just so you know, go and check. And they went and checked. And sure enough, their marketing team had been using it on their own private devices and, and, and using it in that way. That, as you can imagine, made the color drain out of my contact's face. And they very quickly got very motivated to provide a, a safe and secure environment within which their teams could do what they were already doing. There is an IP risk. And the IP risk really is is twofold. One what rights to commercially exploit the outputs of these Gen AI models do you have? And that very much varies between product and product and license and license. So 
looking at the mid-journey licensing versus the open AI licensing. They're, they're very, very different. Looking at the free-to-use versus the commercial models for both of those, very, very different. You can commercially exploit one, you can't commercially exploit the other. Again, it is quite surprising to me how few large organizations have actually got their head around that and figured out what they can and cannot do with different things within the rules. We're currently in this very happy utopian halcyon stage of development where actually those organizations don't really care if people are breaching their terms and conditions because they want to motivate people to use their systems. And I draw the analogy here of Facebook now matters API access 15 years ago when, or even 10 years ago, when Facebook was still battling for dominance and still competing with MySpace and others for people's eyeballs, they made a free-to-use API that allowed you to plug your Facebook timeline onto your blog because they wanted to make sure that all the people viewing your blog were also getting a bit of Facebook content. The moment Facebook achieved dominance. They they were the ones with the eyeballs. They closed that API off immediately because they wanted everyone to be on their platform. And I suspect we'll see a, a vaguely similar path for the, the use of IP from these systems. Right now, they want the world to use it. Once the world is using it, they will start to enforce and flex their muscles a little bit, I think, in terms of making sure that people are paying when they should be paying and, and using only for the things they're allowed to use it for. The other limb of data protection and IP is there's clearly a lot of very contentious litigation going through at the moment against some of the Gen AI foundational model providers in relation to what data was used to train them in the first place. So the Getty Images is probably the most famous one, but it seems like every week we have another famous author suing these models for using their works in training it. Again, the mitigation here can be quite straightforward if an organization is in the Microsoft Azure estate, as many large enterprises are. Microsoft, as a shareholder in OpenAI, has made available an indemnity, which basically says if later on down the line, OpenAI loses those cases and that leads to claims both against OpenAI and the organization using it, Microsoft will indemnify you and make you whole on any loss that you suffered. That's a great mitigation. You have got to make sure you've configured your system properly to avail yourself of that indemnity if it ever needs to bite. And so there's a a very quick thing that we do there in terms of standing up the private closed environment, making sure it's configured in the right way to avail yourself of the indemnity later on down the line. That at least means you've got the core secured and you can the organization can go and play with a thing and experiment with a thing without worrying they're going to blow the doors off their organization. And the final risk associated with gen AI and really AI more broadly is the rapidly evolving regulatory picture for AI. We have the EU's AI Act, we have different jurisdictions jostling with very different public policy motivations in jurisdictions around the world. And I think one of the the biggest challenges for those seeking to build their own models and implement their own AI models is if your organization has a global footprint, how do you navigate what is a uh, an increasingly fragmented, certainly not homogenous 
global landscape. That is challenging. There's no two ways about that, but it's a path we've trodden a number of times before and I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll tread again. And so if you're wrestling with those things and you're trying to figure out how to mitigate that and all of the other risks I've just spoken about, then definitely get in touch. Thanks, Tom. You've given us a lot of food for thought here. How can our listeners find out more about MDRX and how they might adopt these new technologies? So first thing, check out our website, www.mdrx.tech or get in touch with me directly, tom.grogan at mdrx.tech. We'd love to hear from you. Well, for now, let's wrap up there. Thank you so much, Tom Grogan, for joining me for this Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions podcast. I'm Dulcie Pearson, and the Digital Sessions are a series of online events, videos, and podcasts, all available at mishcon.com. If you have any questions you'd like answered or suggestions of what you'd like us to cover, do let us know at digitalsessions at mishcon.com. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com.